As you're taking your seats, there's a card and a pencil. You can grab that card and pencil and put it underneath. For now, I will use those at the end of the sermon. So I uh, take some time to tuck that away, give myself some walking room. When you come to know who Jesus is and what he's done, the song that we just sang is the right response. We come to the feet of Jesus and we lay down and we lay down our crowns and we cry, holy, there is none like you. Holy, you are other than. Holy, only you, Lord God, are worthy of worship. That's what we're going to be looking at in today's passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, the right response of the believer to a God who's holy, holy, holy. We're continuing in our sermon series titled Gospel Culture, and this week, what we will see in the way of the life of a believer is that we are confident in Christ, and my prayer to Zach's point, is while uh, you won't hear anything new, uh, that what we do hear will charge and challenge us to continue to run for the Lord until the day that Jesus Christ returns to call us home. As we prepare to dive into the word, I ask that you would pray with me and pray for me. Father, we are abundantly grateful for this truth that we have before us, your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts on this morning, that you would remind us of your love, that you would remind us of your grace and your mercy, and that as we come into the remembrance of these truths, that we would have a testimony to say that we put our confidence in Christ alone, and that we walk out of this space with our heads up high, knowing that we are the beloved of a gracious and merciful God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of God is good all by itself. Paul opens up this section in what we reference as Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, with the word finally. Now, contrary to the belief of some, this is not Paul introducing his first closing as though he's long-winded and he has another closing that just comes up. No, this word finally in this context is a transition term. It's to draw the reader's attention to other things. So what Paul is doing here, he's saying in the first section, I was addressing some things. And those things that he was addressing, we talked about partnership, faithfulness. And now I'm getting ready to move into this next section. And so this section spans from chapter 3, verse 1, over to chapter 4, verse 7. And then you see in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul used that word finally again. Now he's getting ready to move into the third section. So in this second section, Paul is looking to address some things with the believer. And I would say in a word, perseverance, persistence is what he's looking at. You can see that even in our passage today, he talks about being confident in Christ. And then later on in verse 16, he talks about hold true to what you have attained. And then he closes out verse one of chapter four, stand firm thus in the Lord. So he's encouraging the believers as he's getting ready to walk through this second section to hold fast. And here in this second section, the first part, Paul has a declarative statement. He says, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. And he bookends kind of this section, and you'll see it again in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So something that Paul is looking to unpack in here is essential for us to have joy in Jesus. Paul is saying to have great joy or delight in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And he says that it's right for me to share these things with you, though you know them. But it's no trouble for me to repeat these things because it's that important. And so now we see here in verse 2 and 3 that Paul is letting the believers know what it looks like to have joy in Jesus. In that first verse, verse 2, he warns them against some things. He says, look out, beware of dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, This word dogs is communicating a spiritual predator. Evildoers is someone who has malice flowing from them because of a a rotten heart, a morally rotten character. And then mutilating the flesh in some texts, it would be translated uh, false circumcision. So those who are putting confidence in their own ability to gain righteousness before God. And this group of people say, how do you really feel about them, Paul? Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Doesn't sound like they're on the top of Paul's invitation list for his birthday party. Paul has some thoughts about these individuals. And Paul has been dealing with these individuals for some time. This is a group that's referred to as the Judaizers. We can look at Acts 15 to get a little bit more of a sense of the the tension that Paul feels with these individuals that he's saying are spiritual predators, morally rotten hearts, teaching a false doctrine to the believers. Paul at one point was in Antioch after his first missionary journey, and there were some Judaizers. These are Jews who believe in Jesus. So they're brothers in the faith, sisters in the faith. They believe in the Christ, but they were holding fast to the law. 
And so Paul, after going to Antioch, some Judaizers came to Antioch and they were teaching some false doctrine. And here in chapter 15 of Acts verse 1, it tells us what they were teaching. Since they were saying to the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now here Paul had just spent a whole trip letting Gentiles know that their way into salvation is not through the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant, but it's through salvation in Christ that you'd be saved. And now these Judaizers are trying to undermine that teaching. And so Paul and Barnabas make their way back to Jerusalem, and we see the first council uh, that came together to address false doctrine in the body of Christ. And so they have this deep, the scripture says, dissension and this argument and so Paul is letting the, uh, the apostles and the elders know and speaking in front of this council what God had been doing on this first missionary journey. And here's the response from some in that audience. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 15. But some believers, believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles, these who walked with Jesus, and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so Paul, after this council, he, Barnabas, uh, Silas, and Judas go back to Antioch and give this report. And now Paul continues on his missionary trips with this truth in mind, that you do not have to be circumcised in the flesh to be saved. You have to put your confidence in Christ and Christ alone. So Paul is right to teach the Philippians, hey, be on the lookout. For those who would teach anything different, and if they teach anything different after it has been clearly ruled by the apostles that this is not the way to salvation, then it's right for Paul to say they're spiritual predators, morally rotten character, and that they have a false circumcision because they're trying to teach you a different way to find joy in yourself rather than joy in Jesus. But Paul lets the believers know that the true children of God have three distinct characteristics. Here, verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul, by saying we are the circumcision, circumcision, he's saying we are the true children of God. Not those who circumcise their foreskin and say that they are the seed of Abraham and that they are keeping the Mosaic Covenant. They're not the true children of God because they're putting confidence in their flesh. We are the circumcision. We are the children of God who worship by the Spirit. This word worship is to serve by the Spirit. But it's not a, a dictator kind of serving. It's not a forced labor. It's a voluntary service. It communicates one who submits 
to the will of another, surrenders their will and submits to the will of another. So this is someone who submits to the will of the Spirit. So you serve by the Spirit. You serve in obedience to the Word of God. This is a characteristic of the true circumcision, the children of God. And they glory in Christ Jesus. This word glory means to boast. It's one who walks with their head up high. So if you look at a competition and you see two people standing on the platform, you'd be able to tell very quickly who is the one that's the champion. Because one has their head down. Oh, that that person didn't win. The other has their head up high. It's like, oh, that's the champion. How could you tell? Their head is up high. They are confident in the fact that they just won this competition. But Paul is letting us know that those who are children of God boast and they hold their head up high in Christ. Not in themselves, in Christ Jesus. And the other distinction is that they put no confidence in the flesh. They put no confidence in circumcision and their ability to maintain the law and stand righteous before God. Zero confidence in self. I stand confident in Christ and I serve him in accordance to his word. These are those who are truly finding joy in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul and letting them know why someone should look out for those who would teach this false doctrine of salvation through circumcision and should instead put their full confidence in Christ and their salvation through, through saving faith in Jesus Christ, he looks to give himself as an example as to why someone should pick this side, the true circumcision versus the false circumcision. And so we see here in Paul's, I say, business case, for why you should put confidence in Christ and Christ alone. He says that he is one who should have confidence in the flesh. If anybody should have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. And then Paul goes down this list of the Jews Jew. Like if there was a who's who's list, Paul was the who on that list. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. And you'd have to look at the Pharisees. I mean, they were strict on keeping the law. He was a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I nailed it. If there was anybody that was going to put confidence in the flesh, it would be me. But... Here in verse 7, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now here, Paul is using uh, merchant terms, terms of commerce or trade, when he says gain and loss. Paul is saying, whatever I had that was profitable, and he's speaking unto salvation, all these things that he just listed. I had all these things. I could have stood, it seemed, before God and said, I'm righteous Heaven's my home. I gained these things. But now, because of Christ, he says, I consider them as loss. I consider them as unprofitable because of Jesus Christ. And now Paul goes into verse 8, and he doesn't just double down on this thought. He doubled down to the nth degree. This word indeed is an emphasizing word that we really can't capture in our language. I mean, you take it super duper, uh, mag whatever terms you want to put to try to really drive this point home of how important this is. Paul takes that and again to the nth degree. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss, as unprofitable because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, 
my Lord. Now, Paul is not communicating that the things that he once considered profitable have no value. He's just saying that they are not profitable unto salvation. And now that he's found the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, he puts his confidence in nothing else. And this idea of Jesus Christ being his Lord, Paul is talking about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as his Lord. Now, for some, we may bristle against the idea of having a Lord, because if I have a Lord, that means that I am subject to this Lord that reigns over me. But for Paul, that wasn't a problem, because see, Paul understood that if I submit to my Lord, and I live according to his way, then my Lord is responsible for my life. And as long as I'm doing what my Lord says, then my Lord has to take responsibility for me. So Jesus Christ is my Lord. My life is in his hands. I'm doing what he says, and so I get what he's got. And that would make sense why Paul would go on to say this next statement. Now that he's found the surpassing worth of being in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, for his sake, for the sake of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For his sake, because of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. This term suffered the loss means to invoke loss upon. But if we understand it again in the term of a merchant, you invoke the loss upon someone else. I'm going to take your money. Right, but Paul is saying, I voluntarily inflicted loss on myself. I gave away. It's, it's the thought that came to mind was uh, a voluntary repossession. I mean, I know I paid for the car, but I'm going to voluntarily give it back to the company. It's like, hold on, Mike, you paid for this in full. Usually uh, a repossession is involuntary. You've been late on your payments. We're coming and taking away. That would make no sense. This is not necessarily that, but that's the picture that came to mind. Like, why would someone who feels like they have full possession of this thing voluntarily give it back? Why would you inflict loss on yourself? And then Paul didn't just inflict this loss on himself. He says he counts all of this loss as rubbish. All these things that were once considered profitable. Not only are they not profitable, but he says they're worthless. That's what rubbish means. Dung, something that you just throw away. So you once, Paul, put your confidence and hope in this list, being circumcised, being considered a Hebrew, being righteous in the eyes of the law. And now you're saying that all of that is worthless? Well, yes, because I have come to understand the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I inflict this loss on myself, and I count all of those things as worthless so that in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In order that I might be in relationship with Christ and identify with him. So one would have to ask the question of a Hebrew of Hebrews. A Pharisee of Pharisees, why would you make that exchange? Why would you, after investing your life's work into all these things, now consider them worthless? What did Paul come to know about Jesus that would cause him to consider leaving everything else behind? Well, Paul came to know who Jesus is 
and what he guaranteed, which is why Paul said, I would give all of that up in order that I may gain Christ, be in relationship with him, and to identify with him. I let all that other stuff go. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul lets us know what he came to know about who Jesus is that would compel him to count everything that he once considered to be worthwhile to be worthless. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is God. Period. That's what Paul came to know about Jesus the Christ. The image of the invisible God. He says, by him all things were created. And by him, all things hold together. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. This is what Paul came to know about who Jesus is. He is God the Son, equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Paul came to understand that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He wasn't a knockoff, a watered-down version. He's God. Right? And this is the truth that it's good for us to be reminded by because we may have heard these truths for the better part of our lives for some of us, and you even hear it now. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, let's just pause for just a moment. He is the image of the invisible God. That should cause us every single time to just stand in awe. There's not a single time that you can go outside and look up at the sun and not be blinded by it. It's like, oh, man, that sun is bright. You don't go and look up at the sun and say, oh, I looked at it yesterday and now she's not. No, you whenever you look at the sun, it will blind you. Whenever we consider who Jesus is, it should be dumbfounding to us that he is the image of the invisible God, the creator and the sustainer of life. And that he would decide to reconcile the world to himself by giving up his life for the sins of mankind. And that's the other thing that Paul came to know. Who he is, but also what he guarantees by giving up his life on the cross, reconciling us through the blood of the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 9, Paul communicating what it is that comes to those who put their confidence in Christ. I'll start at verse 4. You have verse 1 up there, right, Brett? I will start at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. I just, just one moment. <laughs> I need you for just a moment to put on your kid hat. 
you know, the, the hat that you just find yourself amazed by almost any little thing. Like, oh, look, look, wow. Right, I need you to put on that hat for a moment. I need you not to act like you've heard this passage before for just a moment. I, I need you to remember where he found you. And remember what you did do before Jesus and what he was willing to do for you. Right, so that we can build up some of the awe here, that this doesn't just wash over us. It's something, yeah, yeah, get, get to the point. No, this is the point. And if we hold on to this truth, if we're reminded anew of who he is and what he's done, well, we could just close out after reading Ephesians. Amen, let's pray. So please, for just a moment, engage in a way that you remember where he found you and what he did for you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the dogs, the evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I don't have a stone to throw at anybody. I could identify with those who found themselves or who find themselves a wretch undone. I mean, I'm grateful for what Christ has done in me and through me, but I was once in that life. Now I am no longer because of the rest of this passage. So no judgment. I look down on no one, but I'm so grateful for verses four through nine. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. This just makes Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's because of God's love that he sent his son. And for now, for those who put their trust in Jesus, the word says that God has made us alive together in Christ. And he's raised us up in Christ. And he seated us with Christ in heavenly places for those who are in Christ. It's not anything that you and I did on our own. This word where it says, not a result of work so that no one may boast, it's the same word that's used in Philippians that's translated glory. We glory, we put our boast in Christ, not in ourselves. So Jesus, God was willing to do this this way so that nobody, not a single person, no Jew or Gentile could work out their salvation in their own strength. No one will stand before God and boast and say, I kept the law flawlessly. No, you didn't, because the whole purpose of the law was to let you know that you were a wretch undone and you needed a savior. So nobody can stand before God and boast. It's a gift, grace, through faith in Christ Jesus. And if we come to understand this, who he is and what he's done, then we do have this same testimony as Paul. 
Paul goes on in verse 9b of Philippians chapter 3. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I've suffered the loss of all things. I voluntarily inflicted loss upon myself, and I counted all of those things that I gave up as worthless so that I can be in relationship with the image of the invisible God and that I may identify with him, be found in him, which means now I've been raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places. And so because that's true, I'm not looking, Paul says, to have a righteousness of my own that comes by the law. But I'm looking to have the kind of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Because when I make him my Lord, he's responsible for my life. And he lets me know who he is and what he's done for me and what he's going to do for me. I got you, son. Just be easy and let's walk through this life. You're coming home. Guaranteed. Hold your head up high. You never have to walk around here looking defeated. Put your boast in Jesus. Oh, no, I know I didn't do everything perfectly. I know that I wasn't flawless, but I'm in Christ. So I have a godly sorrow that brings me to repentance, but not a worldly sorrow. No guilt, no shame. Because of grace and because of mercy. No head down, head held high. Michael, but you just messed up. Yes, but I'm in Christ. I repented and I'm still under the covering of my Lord. I'd be miserable if I wasn't under his covering because now I have to figure it out. But because I'm under his covering, he's going to work it all out. I'm identifying with him. So it would make sense that I would count everything else as worthless. That everything that I once considered gain, profitable for salvation, I now consider unprofitable. That all the things that I voluntarily gave away, all things, not some things, there weren't a few things I was keeping in reserve because, you know, I did handle, you know, the, the pandemic pretty well. I was gracious and merciful to people. So I, I hold on. All things. And I'm coming fully under the love and the grace of Jesus, of faith. That can only be found in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul says why he would willingly position himself that way. Verse 10. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. That I might have a personal, intimate relationship with the image of the invisible God. And that I might experience the power of his resurrection. That I might be alive in him. Identifying with him. And may share his sufferings. That I might serve alongside Jesus. Paul goes on to say, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means possible, that even if it costs me my life. I'm going to continue to walk with Jesus by any means, obedient unto death, that I might gain the resurrection from the dead. If you have come to know who Jesus is and what he has done, then this should be our testimony as well. I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, the reason why this should be the testimony of every believer is because what you put your boast in, what you put your confidence in, will also be the thing that builds you up or breaks you down. And for someone who put their boast or their confidence in affirmation from people, then you're going to feel good as people are telling you how good you are. And you can get 30 compliments, 40, 50, just keep it going. But because my boast is in the affirmation of man, the moment somebody tells me, I didn't quite like how you handled that. Oh. Head held down. Because my boast was in the confidence. You could win 30 games in a row. Be 30 and 0. Zero defeats. And you lost one game. And you lost that game in overtime. You were up by two. There was a second left, and somebody was on the other end of the court, and they threw the ball behind their head, and it went in. You're like, man, that was luck. So you didn't really, they didn't beat you. They got lucky. But it doesn't matter. There's a one in the loss column. And now I'm walking around defeated. It's like, hold on. You are 30 and one. Like, that's that's the best record in, in all of the league. Why are you walking around defeated? Because my confidence was in being undefeated. And because that's what I put my boast in. The moment that I was no longer undefeated, I was broken down. But if our boast is in Jesus, the undefeated, faithful, loving Savior, then it doesn't matter what happens in life. My head is always held high. Is that something that you can testify to today? Have you had some experiences in your life where even though I know who he is and I know what he's done, that I find myself walking around with my head down, dejected, defeated, because things don't look the way that I thought they would. Because people are saying different things about me. Because how I thought my five-year plan would work out was disrupted in month one. And so now I just feel defeated. I mean, Jesus is all in the room, but, but guilt and shame, I'm just carrying that. Have you felt that? Do you know what that feels like? I do. I love Jesus looking to run with him until the day that he returns or calls me home. But the graciousness of the Holy Spirit would tap us on the shoulder and remind us, hey, you're putting your boast in some other things right now. Your confidence is starting to be built up by some other things. And it's a good reminder from a gracious and merciful God Like Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. To say these same things is no trouble for me and is safe for you and is safe for me to remember that our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. And to also point out the reality that sometimes we put our boast in something or someone else, right? And that becomes a distraction, 
And those distractions can build up over time to where someone ends up very much renouncing the faith. Someone like the Judaizers who came to saving faith in Jesus, but they're trying to grab back a hold of something that they can hold on to. Now, I like the idea of grace, but it feels a little squishy at times, so I need to know that God owes me because I did the, the first five things on the list. And now you know, listen, you're, you're walking in grace, but when you miss step two, what do you do? Do you start to question your salvation? Do you start to wonder if he still loves you? Do we forget Ephesians 2, that it was because of his great love for us that while we were still in our trespasses and sins, not when we figured it out and got perfect, but now all of a sudden when I come to him, I feel like I've got to figure it out and get it perfect. No, he saved you a mess, and he's going to keep you in your messy self because you continue to repent and look to walk with him. We're not trying to live in confidence of the flesh. Grace and grace alone. A confidence that depends on faith in Christ Jesus. And so one of the things that I believe that we all need to wrestle with and ask ourselves, well, what are those things that we start to put our confidence in? Now, I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but now I'm starting to, to feel like, okay, I got this thing, Lord. I remember, uh, must have been... A few months into the pandemic, we decided that we would share the shopping responsibilities. And I was going to go do the grocery shopping because I was probably the least squeamish one to be around people who might have a deadly pandemic disease. So I put on my mask and I went out grocery shopping. That first day of grocery shopping was a bear. <clears throat> I was like, Lord, thank you for Jomar. Thank you for Jomar. It took me about five to six hours to go grocery shopping because I knew where nothing was. I'm like, <clears throat> hey, Jomar, were you sure it was aisle two? Because I looked at I me mean, every single one. You know what I mean? After five to six hours of doing that, I realized that I get frustrated <laughs> when I can't find what I'm looking for. <clears throat> right? But as I continued, I got pretty good. I knew where everything was. Actually, when, when we switched back roles of several months later, it was like, yeah, no, that's in aisle five, bottom shelf, over to the left. They moved it. <clears throat> right, but I remember while I was doing that grocery shopping, there was one time where I was looking for flour. <sighs> just remembering almost, I think, hives, just a little bit. It's like, <clears throat> I was looking for flour. The fourth store. <clears throat> I mean, there was flour on the shelf, they just weren't bags of flour on the shelf. And I find myself standing in the fourth store by like hour number four, ready, I mean, I kid you not, to break down. And I'm like feeling the, the, the emotions well up. I'm like, Michael, it's flour. No, it's bigger than flour, right? And I'm feeling myself just about to lose it on aisle five with the, the dusty shelves but no bags. And then I just like a, like a calm came over me. Just a reminder, where does your confidence lie? And it could seem silly, but what I realized was I was starting to put confidence in my ability to meet my family's needs. And what was really causing me to break down was I just want to take care of my family. Is that too much to ask? 
where's your confidence lie? And I had to give that over to the Lord. And I share that story with you because a lot of times when you think about maybe being distracted, you're probably thinking about just something that could seem, I guess, in maybe man's eyes to be this great and, and big sin, whatever level we put that on. But sometimes it's the good things that become the bad things because the good things start to take the place of God. And instead of putting my confidence in God, who's my provider, and knowing that he does all things well, and if there's no flour, then I guess we don't need to eat bread today. But God has taken care of me. And finding a peace in that, I found myself being disturbed. Any, anybody else? You're just looking at me like, man, Michael, you got issues. Nobody else? <clears throat> anybody remember the flour, though? At least just help me. Thank you, Chris. I guess. Like, those are some hard times for me. Maybe not for you. <clears throat> but it could be something that, maybe small or big, depending on your perspective, that causes you to stop to see that God is present, he's real, and he's right here, right now. So for those of us who love Jesus, it's a good reminder that as true children of God, our confidence can be only found in Christ. And if it's found in anything else, our joy starts to be stolen. I want to invite the praise team to come back up. I want to do a, an exercise that the Lord had me working through and walking through this week. <clears throat> and that's the reason for the card and the pencil uh, that's on your seat or next to you. If, if you didn't have a pencil on your seat, there's probably one a little further down the aisle. I want to challenge the church the way that the Lord has challenged me this week. <clears throat> As we go into our time of silent reflection, what are some things that you have been putting your confidence in? For the Jews, it was the law, it was circumcision. Moses had passed down this law. That if you get circumcised, then you will be considered a part of the lineage of Abraham. And that in keeping that law and being obedient to it, you would be covered under the Mosaic law and found to be a child of God. And the Jews said, well, we have to keep doing that. We can't put our confidence in Jesus. I need to put confidence in, in myself my ability to flawlessly execute. It may not be the same exact things as the Judaizers, but what are some of those things or one of those things that make the list for you? <clears throat> Is it feeling like I'm able to provide for my family? Maybe that's not it. Maybe it's, you know, I, I just got another promotion. Maybe it's your relationships or the way that you imagine they would be. Yeah. Head up high. Not evil things. Even things that God has blessed you with. But those things start to make you feel good about who you are. Instead of whose you are. And you know what those things are. <clears throat> right? Because the moment those things get taken away, man, they pass me up for a promotion. I mean, I got into an argument with my spouse. Oh, there's no flower on the shelf. 
whatever that thing may be, dejected. Michael, I'm right here with you. Even though you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, because Jesus walks with you, you walk through the valley a different kind of way because my shepherd is leading me and guiding me. What are those things that cause you to put your head down? Those are the things that you're building your confidence up on. And today, I want you to write those down. Because we're going to take those to the Lord. It's good to be reminded of these things. It's good to, to have the Holy Spirit touch us on the shoulder and ask us the question, what was your list that caused you to say, I could be confident in the flesh? But today, we're going to declare, like Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So for his sake, I voluntarily write down and rip up everything that may have seemingly been something. And I count these things as worthless in order that I may put the full weight of my confidence in Christ, in Christ alone. I make no promises to you. The things that cause you to possibly have your head down will likely still be around. But the one thing I can guarantee you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's bigger than any problem. And because of who he is and what he has done, put your boast in Jesus. He builds up his body and he takes us all the way home. So for the next few moments, would you write those things down? <clears throat> and then would you pray? Whatever your posture is, sit, kneel, stand. And let's hand those over to Jesus with a godly sorrow. Sorry, Father, that I would make the gold that you gave me seemingly be a God that I would allow the blessings that you gave me become greater than the blesser. Confess that. And then walk in this truth. Thank you that you would love me so much that you wouldn't leave me there, but that you would find me here and continue to call me to yourself. A couple of moments, you and Jesus. Jesus.